0: Well, thank you. Welcome back. I hope everybody enjoyed their lunch, and I hope we've got some interesting questions. We have a microphone right over there for people that would like to come up and uh, talk to ask our speaker a question. David is approaching the microphone. Keep your question uh, brief and to the point if you can, and uh, let's welcome back our speaker. David, it's all yours.
1: Thank you. Fire away. Hello. I'm Len White. Hi, I have a, a nephew working on a project now uh, in MIT. He's the head of MIT. Uh, fusion generator yes. called a tokamak. Yes. Uh, he just been funded with $80 million for a small generator plant, yep. which would be able to put on any lot in Lethbridge or any other city to to cover the co- the <clears throat> the power generation for the whole city uh-huh. like one would be enough for calgary and so that we'd get rid of all these transmission lines because i know looking at my bill my transmission lines are going up and up <clears throat> so how much w- because a fusion generator you have to got to realize that people don't understand they think of fission rather than fusion and uh, how much would the cost be for one of these in in lethbridge i'm suspecting somewhere around 80 million
2: uh, i think it'll probably be higher than that so they don't really have at this point in time a functioning fusion reactor that's operating in the world they operate for a few microseconds or i think the the biggest tokamak in france operated for half a second they're not really ready for prime time continuous operation. Uh, the most promising design for fusion is actually one called the Stellarator out of Germany, uh, which uses uh, twisting uh, magnetic field. Just for people who don't understand fusion, in fusion you're trying to harness the power of sticking hydrogen atoms together into a helium atom, uh, which is what happens in the Sun. Um, but you require sun-like temperatures and pressures in order to do that, and the problem that you have is that at, you know, 500 million degrees, pretty much anything we have melts really good. So what they do in these fusion reactors is use very strong magnetic fields to confine that plasma away from touching the walls of the, of the unit. Uh, the tokamak is basically a big donut uh, where you've got uh, fusion plasma... Uh, contained in this donut-shaped bezel, uh, developed by the Russians first, uh, the stellarator, the German one, uh, actually twists those magnetic fields, uh, which help the uh, plasma stay away from the walls without as much magnetic force. But both of them are sort of still a little ways away from prime time. They always say with fusion that it's you know it's 10 years away, and it has been for 50 years, right? So. The, the problem with all of those types of things, they're very capital intensive. Um, and I suspect that we're actually going to find that solar power, in particular, uh, and energy efficiency will blow those things out of the water financially. Uh, to be honest, the cheapest energy you can buy is LED light. If you look at the cost of LED lighting over the amount of kilowatt hours it will save you, it's like buying energy all in at somewhere between a cent and a half and three cents a kilowatt hour. But you have to put up that money up front. Um, But uh, I think, in general terms, energy efficiency is going to be the thing that uh, shows up at the forefront of the energy market uh, over the next 10 years. And after that, sort of all bets are off on whether solar is going to put everything else out of the water. If you get batteries that will last a long time, then solar and battery is going to be very hard to beat.
3: Hi David, my name is Henning Mundel, and I was very intrigued with the concept that you alluded to of uh, somehow tying our Alberta energy uh, grid to the BC one. And I wonder if you can elaborate a bit more, and are there, uh, is our um, ministry, energy minister, is she on board, uh, is, uh, is the BC, uh, are the relevant people, are they in, in discussion about some concept like that?
2: I hope so, uh, because I think the Feds are looking for projects to fund, and this would be one of those nation-building projects. At the moment, we have effectively about 750 megawatts, or one coal plant's worth of transfer capacity between Alberta and British Columbia. Um, if we're looking to develop wind power just inside of Alberta, we're limited to 3,000 to 4,000 megawatts of wind that you could physically load onto the system. Uh, Beyond that, you start to get to the point where the rapid swings in generation from wind, the the random number generation, uh, will spike your system and turn it off. And that's a problem. Um, No one really has highlighted this, but the Alberta system has never gone black and never been brought back from black. And what you have to understand is that you need power to restart a generator. In order for a generator to operate, it has to have power to create the magnetic fields that it then uses to produce power. So let's hope we never go black because we don't know what's going to happen. But in terms of having an interconnection, that then takes away any constraint that you would have on the amount of wind power we could generate here. So conceivably, you could have thirty or 40,000 megawatts of wind in Alberta. And it would be serving, you know, from here to San Diego.
3: Uh, my name is Don Ryan.
2: Um,
3: the Parkland uh, Institute, I believe it was in uh, 2011, did a study indicating that ge- geothermal potential in Alberta was equivalent to five trillion barrels of oil potential. Mm-hmm. We have approximately 100,000 abandoned wells in Alberta. Why hasn't the Utility Commission done any
2: research into geothermal by using some of these uh, abandoned wells? Uh, I think the short answer is the Utility Commission no longer has a mandate to look at generation. So when generation was deregulated, the Utilities Commission stepped away from it and doesn't do anything with it anymore. Now. The open question is, why doesn't the Department of Energy or someone like that look at that? And I I think, you know, in general terms, they are. In particular, in terms of the climate change um, or the climate strategy, they are looking at geothermal. But I have to give you my own, you know, boots on the ground experience with geothermal, is that it is great in theory, uh, but it has the same challenges that you have in drilling for oil and gas uh, and perhaps even greater challenges because it's hard to get the underground target drilled. Um, and It's already you, drilled. I, no, I know, uh, in the ones you're talking about. Uh, but in terms of general larger geothermal plants, they've had a lot of uh, failures. And the reason has been that primarily their underground drilling has never quite worked as advertised. Um, You might want to look up uh, Ken Chapman. Ken's involved in a company looking exactly at what you're talking about, which is using um, abandoned wells as geothermal sites. Um, And I think they're looking at stuff up to about 5 megawatts.
0: Uh, Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, great to have that kind of competence um, at our disposal here for a while. Um, I was intrigued by your comment on California <coughs> and the projected uh, multiplication almost of uh, electrical appetite mm-hmm. that you see down the road there. I didn't hear you unpack the significance of that. Are you suggesting that uh, we might be an energy exporter yeah. uh, to California, and do you see the... Power lines that the previous government uh, installed being part of that, or um, say
2: more about that? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, the opportunity, well, it's more than an opportunity, it's a necessity. We've got these white elephants, so we need a zoo, (laughs) right? We we have these lines that were built that are going to nowhere. Uh, I mean, Brooks certainly doesn't need a 500 kilovolt. DC station unless you're electrifying cows. Um, So we have this thing that we're gonna have to pay for for 50 years. What can we do with it that would help to spread those costs out over uh, a wider uh, audience? And what's unique for us here is that we actually have had uh, commercial transmission lines built. So the Maddle line, which runs to here, uh, was fully commercial. It's not regulated. It was private capital that was put up to build that line uh, for them to arbitrage between uh, Montana and Alberta for uh, wind power, primarily. We are sort of unique in having an open market for generation. And that's why the first tranche of uh, wind generators were put here. They were actually paid for by Californians. Um, the first wind developers were able to get long-term contracts for green energy, uh, paying them 7 or $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour or 70 dollars a megawatt hour um, in order to build wind power in Alberta. And the reason they built it in Alberta is they could do it here without um, having to go through utility oversight, right? Because we were deregulated and the generation market was opened up, they could build here and get the credits from California. Now, those evaporated over time. Um, But another talk I gave last week was about whether we should join the California, Quebec, and Ontario carbon offset trading market. And to my mind, the answer is yes. And uh, what people don't realize is that uh, Premier Stelmach and his government, God bless us, you know, one thing I think they did that was very foresighted, was in uh, putting in this uh, specified gas emitter regulation, created a carbon offset market specific to Alberta. But when you look at the one from California, it's like they copied it, holus bolus. It would be very, very easy for our carbon traders to start operating in the California market. And when you do that, you get the potential to bring in revenue and essentially create an export of green energy, of energy efficiency um, and any other sort of decarbonization that you can think of. So it sort of flips our problem on its head, which instead of looking at it that we're this very high carbon uh, jurisdiction and we're going to get punished, we're a very high carbon jurisdiction and we have tremendous opportunities to decarbonize profitably and get benefits from other jurisdictions.
4: My name is Klaus Jericho. Um, Energy and society is a highly, as you alluded to, complex issue. Um, And uh, decisions are long-term. If you had the authority, what type of decision-making body would you create to deal with the energy issue in Alberta?
2: Well, energy is always political. You just can't get around that, and out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing shall ever be made. So I, I'm always sanguine about suggesting that there's any one particular, you know, solution to the problem. Um, what I can identify as problematic with the system that we have now is, to be honest, the people that are making those decisions, those long-term decisions tend to stay in their ivory towers, right? They tend to be guys that are commuting in and out of downtown Calgary every day, uh, whether at the ISO or the Utilities Commission. Um, And so I think there could very well be um, a call for town halls on energy if, you know, people have an appetite for it. Uh, you, You do have to recognize that as a group looking at public interest issues, you're pretty unique. As, as far as I know, you're the only one in Alberta. But having people that are actually affected by these decisions be able to put you know, their two cents in before you make the decision that's going to cost everybody for 50 years, I think would be a fabulous thing. Right? It's, um, it does get complicated, but it, it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's only complicated because there are a lot of lawyers, engineers, and accountants that get paid a lot by the hour to make it complicated.
4: My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for coming down here, David. I was worked out well since we didn't get uh, that 20, min- 20 inches of snow that we were supposed to get.
2: <laughs> I, you know, I spent seven years in the Northwest Territories, so I would have been fine.
4: Uh, My question relates to the previous uh, in terms of, uh, could you give us a perspective on what uh, the pros and cons, for example, of uh, Klein deregulating the Alberta energy market?
2: So, the problem always is that uh, a simple philosophy when confronted with the physical realities, (coughs) particularly of electric systems, which are the most complicated and the largest machines that mankind has ever made, it doesn't always lend itself to simple solutions. Um, And, you know, to be honest, we had a pretty simple solution with fully regulated utilities for many, many decades in many, many jurisdictions. Fully regulating utilities, uh, whether gas or electric, has been a pretty good, stable way of regulating them and making sure they're reliable and that the prices are reasonable. Um, But, you know, there's no perfect system for that. I think the biggest challenge with the Klein government was that they were doing it as a fashion. Right, they decided that oh hey you know deregulating liquor stores worked out great. Let's try deregulating electricity because everybody was deregulating electricity, and so we ended up with a market design that was stolen pretty much holus bolus from the United Kingdom in the mid '80s. Now they had deregulated for a different reason, which was to crush their power unions, um, but we ended up adopting their system and then never changing it in light of the difficulties that it had. Um, so we, we really needed to have taken a step back and maybe taken five more years to get into it. And I suspected if they had done that, we would probably end up with a system like we're headed towards now, where you've got a mix of payment for energy and payment for you know, being there with capacity. Um, because that's been the ones that have been the most successful in providing both low-cost and reliability.
3: Thank you, Dave, for your expertise, and, and I'm just amazed that you're standing up there and not seeming to have any notes. My name is Mary Shillington. Um, so much of the things that are happening now uh, are impacted by the election in the United States, uh, so my question is: How do you see the fact of what Trump is doing around what he's talking about doing about coal plants and and not cutting back on environmental issues and so on? How will that would that impact uh, the issue if we tried to do something with California and so on, or in whatever way you could see yeah. things happening?
2: No, uh, and that's a perfectly reasonable question. Um, I think the short answer in terms of our particular situation is that Canada and the federal government has has signaled that it is moving towards carbon pricing in order to meet the um, Paris Accord targets. Now, whether they will meet them or not is another question. Um, California, I expect, will double down on its climate leadership, because I think they now see themselves as the opposition. And so I suspect that the California climate initiatives will carry on. Now, the open question then is, what does that do to us in terms of competitiveness, particularly in oil and gas? And I do think that um, the mechanisms they put into the climate leadership plan to ensure that you know, we are competitive with other jurisdictions in terms of those charges will ameliorate that, will we'll help it. But um, you know, as in many years as an economic forecaster, the only thing I know there are no facts about the future. <coughs> it's the only thing I know.
3: Yeah, Mark Gettle is my name. Hi, Mark. You mentioned that uh, the uh, good target for Alberta would be about 35% wind, 5% solar, and the rest thermal. I'm just wondering where are we at? Now, in other words, what percentage of energy being produced by
2: wind and solar? So, in terms of electricity, we're right now at about uh, 55% coal, um, 35% uh, thermal or uh, natural gas, and you know, rough numbers 10% wind and everything else. Hope that math added up. Sorry, I was.
4: Uh, My name is Lawrence Hoy, and um, I'd be interested in your comments on the following. Um, I understand there is a bill in the legislature, perhaps it's already been passed, that says that we're supposed to generate 30 percent of our electricity on an annual basis using renewables. Well, this means more wind farms and more solar farms which in my mind means more power lines. We already have this wonderful power system north-south, but are we going to be putting up transmission lines to all these wind farms
2: forever? That is a very good question. And the, the interplay between still fully regulated transmission planning and then market-based generation planning is a difficult one. And the, that was why, uh, God bless them, they decided to build all these transmission lines everywhere, in part, was to allow anybody to build anything they wanted anywhere in Alberta. Well, it's really, really expensive to do that. And so there was actually a solution that was developed by the Utilities Commission back in 2001, 2002, where you would charge the generators uh, based on their location, uh, based on what zone they were in, and whether they contributed to or ameliorated uh, bottlenecks on the system. And it was about an $8 million hearing. And I'll always remember I was in Banff at a conference of regulatory wonks called CAMPUT when Minister of Energy uh, Murray Smith got up and said, nope, we're not doing that. We're going to do it like pipelines. We will build them and they will come. And pipelines aren't like electricity. Like, pipelines are really pretty simple in comparison. And uh, that, was a, that was a bad decision. They should have stuck with um, a, a more complicated but uh, better signaling transmission price system, and we wouldn't have the problems we have today. Got a
0: question? I've got a question for you, David. That good, good, good?
2: Testing, testing,
0: one testing, thing. testing, there we go, we're on live, uh, the uh, a hypothetical power generation rate of 5 or 6 cents per kilowatt hour and then it, I heard you say it translates into a, a, maybe a delivery charge and and the administration and paperwork that cuts it, that adds another 5 or 6 percent per kilowatt hour once it gets to the consumer, I'm, I'm going from memory here, yeah. so, is there a uh, g- greater problem in the billing and the delivery system than in the production system? And I'm just thinking of some of the names I've heard, like Direct Energy, Direct Energy regulated services, and some of the consumer complaints of, of being uh, completely incomprehensible on their billing and their understandings and the size of the uh, the administration cost the delivery cost Any thoughts or comments?
2: Sure. Uh, so. Uh, When I was running the Office of the Utilities Consumer Advocate, we had rough numbers, 30,000 calls a year around um, concerns on utility billing. I challenge anyone here to try and figure out what's going on with their utility bill. You can't. You, You literally can't do it. I can do it because I know what secret parts of the Utilities Commission website to go through to get the data that goes into what creates those bills underneath it. But I've been in this for 27 years and was trained at great expense. Um, it's Our biggest problem right now is the continual added cost of both transmission and distribution charges uh, because of them growing their rate base, right? So the biggest whack is on the transmission side where... Rates of uh, will go up about 40 percent uh, from last year to three years from now, uh, but also on the distribution side, because we've had such rapid growth in the province, we've had an awful lot of gold plated conductor spread around Calgary and Lethbridge and Edmonton, all the parts around. Uh, we've had tremendous growth in the system, and that in the way that utility um, cost of service regulation works really puts a spike into your your rates there's just no way you can get around that and because they're fully regulated they're going to get paid for it so the question is could we do away with transmission lines if we had uh you know perfectly free fusion energy that we could use the answer is no we're still going to have to pay for the stupid things so to my mind the solution is you look for how can you actually use them Uh, and spread those costs out over other users than just us captive Albertans.
4: Am I allowed another question?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to stop you. You're my ride, can you? (laughs) Uh,
4: I was just wondering if you could uh, fill us in on, uh, say, for example, every roof in Lethbridge had solar power. How big a percentage of of consumers could generate their own power and the system would still work?
2: Um, 100% of it. Um, residential consumers could all go off the grid and nobody would even notice. Because the biggest part of our uh, load is industrial. So, now having said that, you it wouldn't make sense to do it
3: yeah so I'm oh. I'm can I, I can hear <laughs> 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 make sure it's it's punctual and accurate when you record it exactly. uh, anyway <laughs> Uh, Mr. Gray, I uh, I appreciate all your learned experience. Uh, I remember a few years ago when that famous line from Edmonton Calvary was built, that it cost every Albertan dollar and a half every month to build it. So if the structure is paid by the consumer, left, right, and all around, what is the what what's the matter with the nationalizing the whole damn thing. We're paying for it anyway.
2: Uh, so here's my response to that. I've never seen a government organization run more efficiently than a private one. Um, and so I, I don't think you could convert it to a, um, a public-owned utility and have it run more efficiently. Uh, I think what you would see is that there would be less uh, stress on the system in terms of the individual utilities all trying to get their pound of flesh. So you may see some cost containment from them not being so aggressive and trying to make more money. But, um, you know, it is a challenge. And I come from the, the first utility I worked with was a Crown Corporation. It's hard to get the same sort of hard nosed cost efficiency out of a Crown corporation that you get out of a, a private company, um, just because they're not as focused on the bottom line when you can always go to the government and get more money, right? Yeah. It's, every Crown corporation that I've seen, um, from SAS Power to BC Hydro, has cost issues. Because of
3: that. Yeah, but it's a runaway. It's a totally runaway. We're getting seven, eight charges for every damn electric bill. We're getting eight oh. or nine charges for a gas bill. Yep. We're supposed to own the gas and look what's what's happening with gas. One company controls every house, every building in Alberta. Yep. Uh, we're supposed to own the gas. We're supposed to own the oil. That's just as simple as that. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you know... The the uh, conjecture always that private enterprise can do it better. I'm a little older than you, and I think that if you look around, basically, that's yeah. not always a
2: fact. But we do have the same haircut and, and similar tastes <laughs> in eyeglasses. <laughs> uh, no, and I, and I understand your perspective, but I, I also, you know, I, probably the best-run one in Canada is Manitoba Hydro. Um they're blessed with having, you know, a whole bunch of really low cost uh hydroelectric power, um and probably, you know, have stayed sort of on the page of trying to keep costs down for their consumers. Uh but then you look at Sask Power, which has done some incredibly silly things, you know, they had Thirty thousand meters. They had to pull out because they were burning people's houses down. Um, they spent a billion and a half dollars on a carbon storage project. I mean, and in a small place like Saskatchewan, with you know a million consumers, that those kind of fiascos add up in in short order. Uh, you can look similarly at BC Hydro, where even though they're running all on hydro, they pay nothing for fuel. They still have you know, comparatively high rates. So I'm really sanguine about that. I, I, I'm not convinced that a crown corporation would solve it. I do think having a utilities commission that was more um, punitive isn't the right word. Disciplined I think is the right word. If you had the utilities commission that said, okay, yeah, you can, you can ask for what you want, but you're getting a half a percent. Figure it out. You would end up seeing that uh, you could contain costs, but the evidence that I have is that they haven't been doing that. And one of my biggest disappointments uh, was when I left the UCA, they turned it over to folks that were more concerned with marketing than with regulation. So I've been um, I was in about a thousand proceedings when I was running the UCA, appeared in about a hundred of them. And you have to understand that utility companies make all of their money in the hearing room. Mm-hmm. Other companies will spend money on marketing or advertising, but you don't need to do that when you've got a monopoly. You I mean, what more customers are you going to get, right? You've got them all. So what they do is spend money on really expensive lawyers and really expensive expert consultants. All coming into the Utilities Commission to tell them why it is that they need more money, and inside of a utility, when you have a rate hearing on, it's all hands on deck. I can remember many nights going home at two o'clock and being back by five o'clock to prepare the stuff we needed for our rate hearing. Um, so going home at two o'clock in the morning, come back at five o'clock in the morning. The when I. Joined with the UCA, it was expressly to come up with a, an organization that was comparable in capability and strength to what the utilities had. And while I was there, we knocked, like I said, half a billion dollars off of requested rate increases. Now I have to remember that that's annualized, right? Every year, saving half a billion dollars. Uh, I thought that was pretty good for spending five million on the program that we developed, but. Uh, since I left um, during one of the regime changes when I had to go. It, um, it has not been as effective, I don't think, at challenging the utilities. So if you really wanted a solution, that would be one thing I would say. is Take the utilities consumer advocate, make it independent, give it some resources and give it some teeth.
0: There you go. If you want lower utilities bills, talk to the Commission and get them uh, under under control talk to the government we're yeah you know protests work thank you david would you join me in thanking him for coming